You are listening to the Bondzilla Podcast. The Bondzilla Podcast is a bi-monthly analysis of two of cinema's longest-running franchises, James Bond and Godzilla. This week, Godzilla teams up with a new robotic friend as they take on a creature from an underwater kingdom. It's 1973's Godzilla vs. Megalon. Everybody, welcome. You to, you always start on such like a low key. I know because no, it's, we got to like we're gonna build up. While really I'm welcoming everybody mm. to another episode of the Bondzilla podcast. I am Nick and I'm Will, and you just we almost got sidetracked. I was just checking my car insurance bill. Mm. I think that's a bill right there. Yeah, you should probably take a look at that. Mm, no, nah, I'm a rebel. <laughs> you think yeah. James Bond? What, what do you think his like insurance deal is? Do you think MI6 has like bond insurance? Or maybe they don't. Maybe that's why Q's all the time like bring it back in one piece. Which at the same time is a little irresponsible of Q to expect that like equipment going out in the field is going to get returned. See, it's, it's my like be- there's no contingency for that. It's my belief that like the other agents are very good about that. Okay. But it's I, like it's all like we've kind of talked about it. it's always Bond getting into like the weird adventures and like all the other agents have like normal times. Well here's my question and this will be my last Bond question before we get into some Megalon. Yeah. <laughs> some Zilla. Um but like other than a car other than the cars, which it seems like most of the cars that Bond does are built not to stay in one piece. Now that I think about well, it, like, yeah, like, it has an ejector seat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like to be one is fair, built like, to explode. Yeah, well, the, only if it's being broken into. Because it wasn't when it was a submarine; it was perfect. Right. Well, okay. Here, here's a homework assignment I'm going to give to you, Nick, mm-hmm. and you're going to do this, not me. This is all your responsibility. Now. Sure. I have there been any other examples of Bond not bringing the equipment back in one piece? Because it seems like all the equipment he has, he he uses, and it's not like they're destroyed by the mm. end of the thing. Like, has he ever not? Or maybe Q's just an asshole. Maybe this is why him and Bond but, get but along. Maybe 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 Q is just being cautious because like he knows one time. Yeah, I'm... but the way he's saying it, he's like, and do try to bring it back in one piece this time, 007. Yeah, and he's like, he always does. Is oh, like Q's like suffering from dementia. Like well, he can never remember. It's also like, for example, like I mean, I can think of one example, like the yeah. briefcase and from Wish with Love. Like he maybe didn't get destroyed, but he kind of just left it there in the train after he did the fight. Oh, like, so he's like just bring it back at all? Yeah. Which is still kind of like, I mean, it's going out in the field. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know. Again, uh, look that up. That's your responsibility. Okay, okay, I'll, I'll think about it. No, no, what do you mean you'll think about it? I'm giving you an order because it's a it's a Godzilla episode. Okay. <laughs> You're not gonna do it, are you? No, I am. <laughs> Take a look. Well, I mean. Our next Bond episode is uh, not going to be pretty, so yeah. we just have a lot to distract ourselves by. Um, but Nick, it's not a Bond episode today. It is a Godzilla. What t- year so. was Octopussy again? That was uh, 1983. All right. We're going to travel back in time 10 years, Nick. Get that flux capacitor ready. And, well, actually, we're going to go back in time to a movie that takes place in the future, I think. Because we're either going back to 1973 or 1970X, 
as according see, to this movie. See, so me, it's like whenever there's an X, I just go with the Mega Man route where it's like an undisclosed number within that. So it's some undisclosed number in 1970-something. All right. It, it takes place in 20XD6. 20XD6. Add that to the list of obscure media references. Are you asking me for a challenge? <laughs> well, here is a uh, challenge happening in this movie, Nick. Segway. Awesome. Don't cut it. Don't cut it out. No, don't cut it. You can't. I, I, I edit these. <laughs> um, so the year is 1973. Uh, and the movie we are discussing, Godzilla. Godzilla's back. He's back to fight again in Godzilla versus Megalon. Yes, versus Megalon, who we kind of talked about a little bit last time, but I'll be interested to find a little bit more about Alt. How, how he came oh, to yes, be. Oh, yes, yes. Alternate titles. Godzilla against Megalon. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Whoa, dude. Us U.S. always taking advantage of that, of, 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 the, of, the, of the foreign tongue, twisting their words. Um, once again, uh, directed by uh, one of uh, Godzilla's veteran directors, Jun Fukuda. Jun Fukuda, uh, who is returning in the in the director's seat, and uh, I think it's uh, it's it's time to get started. This is a this is a very interesting one. This actually, I, I've al- I've often said that the Godzilla movies have very simple beginnings because of just how much the Japanese just pump these movies yeah. out. But this right. one legitimately has a lot of interesting aspects surrounding it okay. so i'm very excited so kind of an interesting production yes. to uh, chat about here all right for, so for old megalon development where did the idea for this godzilla movie come from where did they sit down and like what are we going to do for the next godzilla movie well i don't know what that has to do with this nick because this movie was never conceived and never even started out as a godzilla movie oh <laughs> this movie has no godzilla roots whatsoever right in so fact, this, was, this was never planned to be a godzilla movie so kind of like in you know uh going back to something like abira right like abira was planned to be a king kong movie exactly yeah um but i do want to talk a little bit about in order to explain this story let's okay. talk a little bit about showa and japanese entertainment at the time at, at the time okay so this is uh so the year right now is 1973 so we're like entering you know, early 70s, and this kind of, like, made its way into, like, the mid-70s. Um, but in general, we've had, we're on what, like, 14? Are we on 13 or 14 uh, uh, So Godzilla this would be 13. Because Octopussy's yeah. 13th. Right, so, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so we are entering with 13 films the later stages, the older years of the Showa series. Right. Uh, you know, not to spoil too much, but the, the we are in kind of, like, the... The um, less than a handful of films out of the Showa series before we're done right. with Showa. Just as we're getting into the Roger Moore, we're kind of getting towards the end of the show. Right. It's kind of in that sort of same sense. Now, while we're getting into the later years, the influences of the Showa series were really starting to show major results in Japanese children entertainment. Okay. Uh, the lighthearted, more fantastical style of Godzilla in the movies that we have seen at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and and other just similar films at the time, um, led to similarly, 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 Cimmerillion, (laughs) the similarly toned children's media in the form of um, an art form known as tokusatsu. Now, tokusatsu, because I know Nick was about to ask, what is is tokusatsu? He read my mind. (laughs) 
It's a term applied to any live action or TV drama that uses heavy special effects. Now, Nick, this could technically apply to all of the kaiju movies that we have done thus mm-hmm. far and some. Um, but for the relevance of this conversation, we are seeing that done more so within um, uh, media directed primarily towards children, especially like TV media. Okay. And this took the form of, outside of the Godzilla movies, this took the form of Japanese superheroes and robots and like superhero robots. So, I mean, like in terms of kind of an example, would like something like Power Rangers kind of be in that in that wheelhouse? Well, Just Nick, because Nick and I, I don't. Did we like eat some radioactive goo or something recently? Because we're just reading each other's minds, man. Yeah, like we're on the same it just, Like it just seems like when you kind of talk about that and just kind of what how we you power rangers especially yeah well the examples i would use for uh, more recognizable examples for people would be ultraman or super sentai which is you know was translated into power rangers for us um so those would be like the clear examples of that and that was the probably the most popular children's entertainment media at the time right it it was all the rage Mm -hmm. so like that's that's what Toho was looking at for influence. Okay. So keep that in mind as we talk about the development of this movie. Um, and also to be known, like, this um, this style of, you know, show and entertainment was predominantly popular in Asia more so than any other place in mm-hmm. the world. Right. At this, at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. No, I... Yeah. Um, uh, now, I'm not... Sense. I'm not adept or, you know, fluent in international animation of what like animation was at the time or right mm-hmm. now but you know we because i know in america we didn't necessarily have shows and tv like that and the ones that we did were like the biggest one i would say we grew up with was power rangers yeah which is obviously adapted like, from right like, like it would take so the way that power rangers was adapted just for example is that like the art the scenes that the drama scenes that we would see were all like redone in English and just right. have original stories and then they would basically just fit whatever the Japanese costume stuff was. They'd fit it into whatever plot line for the episode. It's like, like a less funny Kung Pao enter the fist. Yeah. <laughs> Put that to the list of obscure entertainment. Have you seen Kung Pao? I've seen Kung Pao. Okay. Yeah. Chosen one. That's a movie everybody needs to see, by the way. Um all right, so Tracking back a little bit. So Toho, noticing this trend, wanted to capitalize on it. And by and um, they did this by holding a contest in 1972. That contest, Nick, because I know Nick was about to ask me, Will, what was that contest? Well, let me tell you what that contest was. The contest was going to children throughout the country and saying, design your own superhero. Submit your own superhero. Come up with your own designs. Come up with your own names. Come up with your own powers. Submit them into Toho. And then the lucky winner will be able to own Toho <laughs> at the end of the day. They go to Pri- children and they're like, hey, make a superhero and yeah. we'll like do something with it. Yeah. The, the, the idea was is that the winner would see their creation realized in some way, shape, or form. Um, so the winner of the contest... Uh, was an elementary school student who submitted a character known as Red Arone, um, who resembled uh, such characters as I mentioned before, Ultraman, um, th- those type of like 
robot characters. Having seen the movie, I can kind of see where this is. <laughs> I can see where this is kind of going now, right now. Uh, and I can actually, if I can, and I'll probably post this somewhere up on uh, our social media. But I do want to show you in person, Nick, in in. Because obviously this is the best format to show visual yeah. uh, things. Because remember, we are a podcast. Yeah. So <laughs> Wait, what? We're a all, podcast? All of this is going out into your ears in, in an audio format. But Will and I, we do exist. And we are people that we are do sitting. Exist. <laughs> we are sitting, people sitting right across from each other. Uh, so Will, all right. So this is, um, this is the original documented picture of what Red Arone used to look like. Do you want to describe that to people? All right, Since well, Nick's job is to describe the monster. Okay, so it's show. got wings. <laughs> all right, it's got white pecs with yellow abs, red all around those abs and pecs. Uh, it's got kind of a teal, greenish hands, gloves. And then it kind of has like a mix between like a Rodan and Mothra head. It, it kind of does. Yeah, with kind of a beak and like Mothra eyes, but it, also has like blue rings for a neck. Yeah, it's it's got like a weird Rodan neck, but a Mothra head. It, yeah. It's very strange. So anyway, so that's what the original design, Red Arone. Yeah. That's what it used to look like. So well, Toho is- chooses this design, uh, renames the character Jet Jaguar. Yeah. Um, they got the... Um, a special effects director of the film by the name of Ter- uh, Teruyoshi Nakano uh, to apply some redesigns to the to the creature, mm-hmm. uh, streamlining the design a little bit, but keeping some elements, including the color scheme. And their plan was to star this character, Jet Jaguar, in his own movie titled Jet Jaguar versus Megalon. Mm-hmm. But this is like, but this is interesting because this is like the first, like you don't really hear about anything them doing stuff like that no. anymore. Like the only thing like this, because I learned about this, there's only something similar that blew my mind as a kid, and that is in the game, the first Kingdom Hearts game. There is a secret boss named Kurt Ziza. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I always thought, like, what a strange name. And for those of you who don't know the game, this boss is like a four or six armed sword wheeling robot with a cobra head. And it's like in a sand arena. Right. Yeah. It's it's super badass. But I'm like, what what does Kurt Ziza mean? And I heard like, oh, it's like somebody's name. And I'm like, whose name is Kurt Ziza? And then I found out that it's like it it was the same thing that there was a contest to have like a, a car- boss, like a boss a named after you, you. and uh, Kurt Ziza won and it shows how much I've grown up because back then I was like what a stupid name now I'm like oh that's somebody's name uh, <laughs> so Nick development was on their way with Jet Jaguar versus Megalon making a Jet Jaguar movie yes yeah. finally the, the after all, we, after oh. all these years <laughs> we finally get Jet Jaguar on the big screen however Nick. Uh-oh. Not not quite yet. It's not that simple. During development and pre-production, Toho was starting to have reservations. They were starting to lose faith um, that Jag, Jet Jaguar, Jag Jaguar, Jag Jetwire, they were starting to lose faith that he could carry his own film. Right. They just didn't believe. They, they liked the design. They liked the concept, but they just like... For some reason, something happened where you're like, I don't know if this is going to work as its own movie. Okay. Um, like, are people so, going to show up? Like, what's going to happen? And like, can can it sustain like a full, you know, three act structure type of deal? <laughs> that, that is a movie. <laughs> <laughs> 
which I don't know. I don't know if they really saw through the three act structure bit when they finally. Well, you know, made yeah, the but movie. that's that's neither here nor there. I mean, at this point, they're just talking about can Jet Jaguar himself sustain <laughs> right, exactly. these ninety minutes? Uh, so Toho stopped pre production. Okay, stopped it completely. Ordered a complete rewrite, including okay. some of like the famed uh, or popular ongoing uh, screenwriters from uh, the Godzilla series up until that point uh, to just rework this movie. And during that reworking, they decided to incorporate Godzilla and the previous film's villain, Gigan, yeah. into the role. Because obviously Godzilla is more of a household name. And Gigan, because um, you know he was just in the last movie. Right. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's a cool design. You know, people will, you know, maybe he can carry a three-act movie. <laughs> uh, three treatments were proposed uh, for this movie. Um, and they were all submitted within a week's time uh, in 1972 during the film's production. Okay. <laughs> Just because three different ones. Because the way this production went, well, I, I won't hop onto that yet, but th- this was a crazy production. To make up for lost time, though, the film was shot in three weeks. <laughs> making. <laughs> three weeks (laughs) making the total production of this movie six months with most of that done in development six months of development and three weeks of shooting i think ron howard had that on solo (laughs) star wars story <laughs> the reports are well. The way a lot of the movie makes sense. Yeah. Well, now. the way because the what had happened was because of this whole rewrite. What it was is like they got like the screenwriters to come in, and at that point they only had enough time to write an outline essentially. Like, right. what is the story going to be? And June Fukuda actually had to hop on to write basically come up with the specifics of like the the movie and the mm-hmm. script so you're you're right it's it's absolutely crazy and considering on a production like this they have to do the live action stuff they have the special effects director the, doing the, the special effects and, you know, yeah it, it's it, it's not like, ideal just total film stuff like getting locations and you know, equipment. And, and this was filmed in the winter, too. Ooh. Yeah, so, uh, in fact, Three there's weeks. a there's a story about how certain actors, uh, how June Fukuda would give them shots of whiskey to warm up uh, b- between between takes. Um, But you, you mentioned suits, Nick, and you need suits to make these monsters come to life. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. let's let's talk about the monsters a little okay. bit. Okay. Uh, so we have two new monsters, two returning monsters, but two new monsters. Uh, I've, I think I've already kind of mentioned everything I need to about Jet Jaguar. Um, do you want to give a brief description of what Jet Jaguar? Yeah, I mean, like is? when you really think it really does look like any kind of requisite like Japanese robot character, like even something to the extent of like Voltron or the Megazords or something like that. Right, like just kind of a humanoid thing with bright color scheme, with a kind of a bright color scheme, like a kind of a green goblin esque head with like um like a, more of a silver color, you know, and like he he's very humanoid, you know, he moves robotically. He's kind of got like that red and white kind of color scheme. Mm. Can fly, you know, um. Grow. Save that that stuff for the movie, but like has powers. There's really nothing else to say about him besides that was his origins of being a. You know, this was Mm -hmm. supposed to be his uh, feature standalone. I will say distinctly like a robot, not like a suit that a human puts on. Right. You know, to give him superpowers. It's distinctly like a robot. But that's pretty much it for Jet Jaguar until we talk about the movie. Um, But the film, one of the film's namesakes. Megalon, mm. um, name coming from megalo, meaning large or 
abnormally abnormally great um, or abnormally big. Okay. Um, uh, I think uh, I, I'll take the responsibility away from you because I think I have a very succinct yeah. uh, description of what he is. Uh, he's a giant man beetle with drill hands. That's yeah. <laughs> that, that comes from an undersea king. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he is considered within the fandom, within the, kind of like the canon of Godzilla mm-hmm. and like the just kind of like the, the head canon of people that Megalon is considered possibly the dumbest kaiju. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, makes sense. Yeah. Uh, he's will, not a bright boy. Yeah, he's not a, he's not a bright Megalon. Uh not a bright beetle. Um uh not but, a blue beetle either. But the Megalon suit and by saying he's a giant man beetle it is like a giant bug with like a rhinoceros beetle head almost, or a Hercules beetle head. Yeah, with, with drill hands. With huge drill hands. And it's like one of those, like when you see the person in the suit, you could just tell like they there's these big like pillars that they have to pick up on, on each side of their arms. Mm-hmm. Um, what, so speaking of which, the suit was the heaviest kaiju suit since the original 1954 Godzilla suit. <laughs> And it was so heavy that it made it really difficult to do any aerial shots uh, or wire work with the suit. Okay. To the point that all those shots were almost cut from the movie entirely because it was just so difficult to lift this to, suit. To get that big heavy suit off the ground. Exactly. Okay. Doesn't like look that heavy though. No, like, but I guess gotten, you can like, kind of see. Yeah, I can thinking about it, I can kind of see, but like it just it doesn't seem like just from a visual standpoint it would be. But maybe just the hands are just those drill hands are a little bit too big. Right, right, exactly. Um, so speaking of returning monsters, Guy, uh, Gigan returns um, this time with a uh, very subtle but new design uh, to his costume. He's a lot more slimmer. Um, I would say in the movie, like on first glance, it's like it's only one of those things. Like if you really look at it, maybe you can tell. But um, it's just a sleeker, slimmer, simpler design. Mm-hmm. There's no use of the buzzsaw tummy in this one. No, um, because you know they're just trying to keep it as simple as possible. Um, the Godzilla suit, on the other hand, is a completely different Godzilla suit than the one that we saw in Gigan. Um, if you look closely, and I didn't mention this in the Gigan episode, that suit was legitimately falling apart. Like, there were shots in the movie that when Godzilla raises his arms, there was like, this, you could just see that it was like tearing at the seams. It was falling apart. And maybe within the context of the movie, you can like chalk that up to battle damage. Yeah. But it's like, it was just an old suit. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, that suit had been around for a couple movies. Right, right. Uh, so this Godzilla suit was made in a week. <laughs> yeah, was, I mean, that, the movie was shot in three weeks, so you don't have that much time to make a suit. That was one of the weeks it's made, was making this Godzilla suit. Um, and uh, this making this the fastest Godzilla suit uh, ever made. Um, and they also didn't have time to make the eyes work properly. Making a suit at the speed of sound. Got places to go. Gotta gotta stomp. No. Gotta stomp on Tokyo. (laughs) Got it. Nailed it. (laughs) Gotta shoot a movie in three weeks and not not a lot of time to build suit. So, Nick, um, in in some ways, this is the most troubled production that we've had. And and troubled production meaning in... And it's funny because I mentioned the... 
the solo thing. Yeah. And, but it's very much in that vein where they're making this movie and they're like, all right, this isn't working. We got to go back to the drawing board. Though it, that's an interesting case because that usually like, all right, we're going to push the movie back. He's like, no, we're still going to maintain production. Yeah. But I mean, it's like, just like solo. You, you still got three weeks. No, that movie was almost done though. Yeah. <laughs> this movie was almost done just being written. Yeah. <laughs> Too true. Um, so, um, so Nakano, the uh, special effects director, um, recalls how the film was rushed and that, uh, like I said, it took three weeks to shoot, stating it went into productions without enough preparation. There was no time to ask. This is a quote from Nakano himself. There was no time to ask. Uh, uh, there was no time to ask the screenwriter to write the actual script. So he kind of just thought up the general story and director Fukuda wrote the screenplay. Uh, the screenplay was completed right before we started cranking cameras. <laughs> okay. Um, so a lot to unpack in that kind of making of. We've seen a lot of experimentation, probably the most unique origins for a Godzilla movie that we've seen in a while of like having this bold idea of like, let's get the fans involved. Let's capitalize on this this trend going on only for in a weird way toho to kind of see like we're not sure if that's exactly working and then rework this entire thing into a godzilla movie so you have cultural influence you have kind of like a like a circle of toho influencing people and then people influencing them and then this crazy production schedule do you nick do you have just any thoughts on just this giant just like production well i mean like it just puts a lot of what the movie is into context. Mm-hmm. It does kind of make sense hearing about, hey, this movie was shot in three weeks, where it's like a lot of that, that it comes across in the movie. Right. And it's just, what's fascinating, really, is just the fact that they can shoot a movie like this in three weeks. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it is just, I guess as much as it is like, you know, you got to have all the effect scenes. Part of it is like, oh, let's we'll just go out to a field somewhere and we'll <laughs> shoot a bunch of just fight stuff. I right. Mean, and right. that's really what like that fight stuff can tend to be. Yeah. And I it's mean, like the better, yeah. Yeah, obviously the better productions have much more to them. But at the end of the day, it's like, it's just fascinating to think about, well, you can just make a movie like this in like 21 days, like shoot it and then put it together. Like I said, that's like the, We've mentioned it many times before, but they're just really down for cranking these movies out. Uh, but the most interesting aspect to me was this whole kind of like, you know, this. Uh, and I'm I'm already for I'm already like losing track of the phrase. Um, so if you excuse me for it, this uh, uh, tokusatsu kind of like influence mm-hmm. um, on everything. Yeah. Uh, that's the most interesting element to me because it is like also an element that. We, because again, we grew up with something like Power Rangers, but we also are again are familiar with stuff like a little bit like Ultraman and Voltron and all that right, sort of stuff, right. and, and even other anime. Like, you well, know, I bring it up because this is the first time we're kind of like talking about like what is other than like these kaiju movies. What is like Japanese entertainment? Right, but at it's, the like, time. It's, a, it's a something that we are familiar, like the giant robots and and that kind of element of Japanese culture is something that we also also just like Godzilla and just like big monster battles is something that we just kind of absorb as Americans from, like, a Japanese perspective. Like, oh, yeah, they, they like their giant robots. So it's interesting mm-hmm. yeah. to really see that come into the Godzilla franchise. Yeah, and, and, and if anything, see... probably defines most of 
a lot of Japanese entertainment more so than the the kaiju stuff. Yeah, like the kaiju stuff kind of influences a lot of the Japanese stuff. But I would say like, I mean, you still I mean, have like Voltron, Ultraman, yeah. Gundam. Like they're Beyond, all about their Beyond like, big but whatever that show is. Uh, evangelicals? Yeah. What is that called? No, Evangelists? Yeah. What is that called? I do not know. <laughs> um, but even, re- I mean, when you look at like the influence. Evangelion. Like, yeah, Evangelion. Yeah. <laughs> like something like if we look at your figures right here, Pacific Rim. I mean, yes. the whole thing is based on this idea of these giant robots fighting these giant monsters. And this is kind of a really cool, like early look at kind of that, what that kind of inspiration could be. Yeah, and Nick, that is right for everybody. Nick just casually uh, walked over the fact that, yes, I do have a... Uh, the entire series of Pacific Rim Uprising, very well articulated figures up on my uh, bookshelf right now. They're very posed. Yeah. <laughs> hey, well, man. I, I don't know. I think I think with that, I think that we're ready to kind of move on to talking about. Yeah, definitely. Um, so uh, so Nick, let's check out what uh, six months of production and three weeks of actually shooting a movie gets you. Yeah, let's see how dumb that Megalon is. <laughs> All right, well, it's time to talk. Time to get into the nitty-gritty yes. of Godzilla versus Megalon. And now, when you get into front of cameras and you're like, you got three weeks to shoot, you got a couple dudes, you got a Megalon, mm-hmm. especially dudes. This is like one, I think this may be the first um, movie with no female characters. Right. Other than like some extras, but yeah. no female characters. Right. Um, so, Nick, what does three weeks get you of shooting this movie uh godzilla versus megalon basically a movie of just a big single monster fight (laughs) and like here's the thing about that like i would not say this movie is great but i do give it credit for just basically leaning into the fact that it's just one giant monster fight because if you remember back to the gigan episode i kind of said that it's really crazy that the it's just the last 40 minutes are this giant fight and Mm -hmm. That one just didn't work because it just wasn't really that entertaining. This one I give credit to. Again, it's not particularly good as a movie, but it is very entertaining. And it really is like this movie, more so than other Godzilla films we've seen, has essentially zero plot. Like, they do they do the setup in the beginning of like, okay, this is kind of building up to like Megalon's appearance and Jet Jaguar's role in the movie. But essentially, like, right from the beginning, it's just like, okay, we're into, like, basically, like, this whole movie is essentially what would be a Godzilla third act in a different movie. And um, it's just kind of, again, when you think about the fact that it was just a three-week shoot, that makes sense, because what's easy to shoot? Monster stuff. Mm -hmm, It's so easy to just shoot, like, you know three or four monsters in a field just fighting each other. And and like there's other elements that you can tell it's a three weeks, like some very extended sequences where it's like, let's just get as much footage as we can of, of Megalon in this damn area. Like let's right, just right. do most like let's do all we can with that. But again with a mo- for a movie with zero plot and <laughs> essentially one big monster fight like that takes up the entirety of the movie. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. still entertaining. I 
as soon as this movie was over, I was trying to think of the most succinct way to describe this movie. And the way I would put it is it this is a much better worse version of Godzilla versus Gaiken. Yeah. <laughs> because you could say the one thing Gaigan has going for it that this movie does is like there's at least some semblance of like a plot like it's, that there's like the aliens but then they kind of explain who the aliens are and right. like how they're taking over these bodies there's, there's like machinations to the plot this one Nick is not kidding when he says there is zero well, plot like, like even like something like Gaigan which is again is something that's very simple there there is the traditional Godzilla elements of like okay there's this group of characters and oh there's this mysterious thing going on and they investigate and there's like some like monster things some things that the audience has to figure out and then some revelations you know or if you look at even like the best of it like something like a Ghidorah right where right. it's just like okay there's all these different plots you have the princess thinking she's the Venetian and you have the policeman trying to figure out what's going on you have the assassination plot and you have all this stuff that surrounds kind of this idea like oh Gigan is coming you know has come to right Earth. this one like if you want to really get into it this i can describe this movie in just a few seconds so yeah like, go ahead so there's an inventor who invents jack jackwire right and maybe his kid or maybe some kid and then maybe a friend or maybe his boyfriend i'm not entirely sure <laughs> like, i the, 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 i did look this up but okay, yeah, the, go ahead the yeah. three main characters it's like <laughs> never really established like who they are in relation to each other but anyways so these three guys one of them is inventor he invented jet jaguar they're at the beach and then all of a sudden, like, the beach, like, the fissure opens up, and they're like, oh, that was weird. They go home to these burglars. These burglars try to steal Jet Jaguar, but they don't. Then it's revealed that, um... <laughs> so then, like, you basically find out that, like, there's this, this the sea or Seatopia. Seatopia. <laughs> the people of Seatopia are like, we're done with these nuclear tests. Let's send Megalon up. The bad guys come back. They steal Jet Jaguar. Megalon comes up, and then... It's a big fight. Megalon starts destroying stuff. They try to save Jet Jaguar. They send Jet Jaguar to get Godzilla. And then basically that's all. Like there's nothing like with that. And basically the part where like the burglar steals Jet Jaguar and Megalon comes. That end is like the first like 15, 20 minutes. Right. That happens like very quickly. Now, like that's a scene like in another Godzilla movie. You'd build up to Megalon. He'd appear like halfway through the movie. He'd have his first big fight. Godzilla chases him off. And then you have the last big fight. This one just gets right into what the last big fight is. Now, here's what I will say about this movie. By me saying it's a much worse, it's a much better, worse version of Gigan. Because you're right. It's so thin. It's even thinner than Gigan. Yeah. That being said, this movie. I I have to admit, this was a breezy watch. It is, yeah. It was paced in a way a lot better. Where I have to give it credit, where it kept moving. Oh like, no, yeah, there was it does. never a lull. Well, again, like I want to go back to like I said like earlier, my criticism of Gigan. My criticism of Gigan partly was like you you spend forty minutes on that last fight and like like nothing happens. It's like just a boring fight. And this well, one, that that's a key element that it really was barely an inventive fight. Whereas this one, it's like yeah, like the like. <laughs> 80% of the movie is just this giant monster battle fight, essentially. Right. But it is consistently entertaining where, like you said, it's worse as like a film because it doesn't, it's not a movie. It's just, <laughs> it's just one big fight scene. Like, right. And just in terms of what we traditionally think of as a movie. But it is better because the fight scenes, like the, the one big fight scene is essentially a lot more fun. 
you do have some of those those ridiculous moments that you really kind of enjoy and just like there is an energy to it where it's like yes it's not great but it's still fun well what i will say is like this movie does something that for me and maybe this is just for me and then like really for you just based off like having this conversation this movie does one key element is that it makes good on the monster stuff yeah and to be fair, like to be clear, there is a good. There's still some of the recycled footage. There's some very key elements. Godzilla leaping into the water at one point is straight yeah. from Abira. Um, but I, I would argue that in this movie, it's more cleverly used and yeah. seldom used because there are moments where, like, well, there's a lot of like destruction that Megalon does mm-hmm. is from like all the Ghidorah battles and right. stuff because yeah. he said has like the lightning beam so they just use it there but it's kind of cut in a way where you would you would be forgiven if you didn't know that except for the fact that they use the exact same shot of a satellite dish moving like five times in a row like it's the exact same shot yeah yeah, yeah. but well, other than that like, but, yeah. but what i'm saying is no, yeah. but on top of that this movie actually does offer like a lot of original oh yeah because like, like you can kind of tell too fighting. because like, even within the, like, the last movie, like, you know, the Ghidorah and Angira stuff was, you know, we've seen it before. It was, like, like, right from Destroy Monsters, But even, like, the stuff, yeah. like, the, the, you know, even, like, they don't use that much of the Godzilla Gigan fight from last one. They don't use that much of it. And you can tell because when they're shooting the fights, you see all four monsters. Like, yes, yeah. You see all four of them in the same shot, or even to this point where you just see, like, a little arm of Jet Jaguar come up while Gigan's punching Godzilla. Like, that's enough to see, like, okay, well, they are doing new stuff here. Right, right. And it, you can tell, and it's, again, refreshing new stuff. So, Megalon comes up through the ground. Um, On the basis of the Seatopia people. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, speaking of, wait, hold on. Speaking of the Seatopia people, so at one point... The, so these burglars, so these also, bad you, guys. Yeah. So for, wait, hold on. I, I'm getting ahead of myself. Like I do want to say one thing. So at one point, Nick and I didn't know what the relationship between so these there, two guys yeah. and this boy was. So there's three main guys. There's the inventor who yeah. comes up with Judge Jack Wire. Yeah. There's a why kid. other than he's an inventor. Like it, this is what we mean by the plot is so fucking thin. Like he's just an inventor. Like we don't know what he does, why he's building a robot. Like he has a mural on his garage, but like <laughs> why does he have a mural on his garage? But anyway, so yeah, so there's an inventor, there's a kid, and then there's like another guy who's like friends with these guys. Okay, but so, it's like within the movie's context, it's never really established like what like is, whose kid is that? Like what that sort of thing. Okay, so what I have here is that. So, yes, he is an inventor. Uh, that kid is his nephew. Okay. And the other guy is just a friend. Okay. Which is still a very strange, yeah. like, like I have nothing but questions. And that was, like, the <laughs> thing about this movie. For a movie that's so thin in plot, there's so many world-building implications of what's right. going on. Like, it's pr- it's a pretty lunacy like just filled with like just bonkers lunacy right. in this so movie. like to establish too so the movie opens pre-credits yeah the pre-credit sequence where they established that in 1970 x now i thought i saw that in here it says it does take place in 1973 so in but this s- could be a typo i swear i saw no, it say 1970 x the subtitle say 1970 x but i i my assumption 
is that it's just kind of like the Mega Man way where it's like it takes place in a year, but like we're just unspecific, so it's just like the near future. Right. You know right. what I mean? Where it's not like right now, but it's like, oh, like like it is something that would happen tomorrow. But essentially, 1970X, 1973, whatever you want to call it, there is doing new nuclear underground testing. And you see like Well, that was the crate so that was like the first like, wait, what's going on? Because it's like like the subtitles come up and they say on the eve of like the second underground nuclear testing. And I'm like, well, when was the first one? And apparently this was so bad that like Monster Island was feeling the effects of it. Right. Because you kind of see a little bit of Anguirus at one point. Yeah, too, yeah, yeah. And like Godzilla's reacting. But essentially, so they're doing these nuclear tests. And then at one point. Like, I forget exactly the context, but at one point you're, like, going from, like, the inventor and all this sort of stuff, and you just cut to this underground society. Well, the, so the thieves come in, in which one of them, like, knees the kid and knocks him out. Yes. Which was one of those things, like, in the in the U.S. version of this, they cut out all the child abuse. Because there's a lot of child there's a, abuse. There's quite a bit. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> they like they, That kid gets knocked out, like, three times. At least, like, two or three times. Yeah, he gets, like, three times. So... At one point, so they get knocked out, and then the people, which again is one of these things, like these specific people, they go to this inventor to get Jet Jaguar, because Jet Jaguar, it, well, none of this makes sense. So anyway, so they go into his into his uh, office, get onto the communications of, device, and he's like, we are here, do you read us? And then it just cuts to, uh, and the character's name is Emperor Antonio uh, emperor of the Seatopians, and it's just you're right. It just cuts to him at his like control panel, uh, underground lair, and there's there's people. no like shot up, like there's no establishing shot of what we're looking at. We're just like, whoa, wait, what? And it's like <laughs> it's like so it's like this like kind of future like kind of future ancient society, like one of those types of things where it's like influenced by like kind of the ancient Greeks and like the East Easter Island, like the legends of right. Easter Island. Well, that, but, see, that but, was but, another crazy thing is that earlier on in the movie. Like and I, I'm surprised you didn't flag this that we get in our big uh, in well, a was, while I, our I was nuclear. Go, I was going to mention this, but yeah. yeah so okay. we we do get like so basically the Cetopian emperor yeah. is like making this speech. It's like they have begun nuclear testing again, and this time we'll not stand for it. We are going to send Megalon to the surface to destroy the surface dwellers once and for all. <laughs> well, but what was crazy about this though? So they send Megalon to the surface. But the the people, the guys come home and the kid, they come home to these burglars who knock them out and leave. Yeah. And then they're like, well, why were they here? We never know why they're there. So At then, least initially. Yeah, initially. But then they come back when Jet Jaguar is finished. Mm-hmm. And then what they end up doing is they end up using Jet Jaguar as basically a communications array to lead Megalon to the areas that they want to destroy is essentially what the Cetopians do. Mm-hmm. But my question is, how could that on Earth been part of their plan? Like, first of all, when they got there, like, how do they know this guy? Who is this inventor? Why is he so important? Why are, is he making Jet Jaguar it, in the first when place? When you think about it, it is crazy that you were given no answers to these questions. No context for like anything that happens in this movie. <laughs> but even if that were the case, Nick, that 
when they first got there, the robot wasn't even done. So how could they have even known that's what it could do? That's why that they that's why they left. They're like, we'll come back in a little bit when the the, the robot's done, and then they kidnap the kid to get the robot. Yeah. So so that happens, and you're right. And the Megalon finally comes up, and then he starts wrecking havoc. And like I said, so what we just described right there is essentially the first fifteen to twenty minutes of the oh, movie. Oh, like, remember that. Remember that part where they try to break into the house and Jet Jackwire accidentally knocks that guy out by bowing down to him at the door. Yeah. And the one guy just gets knocked out by this robot head. Oh, that was pretty funny. Yeah, but like but basically like what we just described there is just the first fifteen to twenty minutes of the movie. And then normally that stuff would be like again what would be like halfway through the movie right like we would have a little bit more context about why he's building jet jaguar there'd be a little bit more of the mystery there'd be a little bit more build up to Cetopia and megalon but like no it's just really starts to get into it and Meg- like the they can control of jet jaguar he starts well, the movie moves yeah like that's the like, thing they, like they, it like, moves it, at a pace that like, like it they doesn't start- give you enough time to realize like or really complain too much about like wait a minute what there's yeah. no substance here whatsoever right. yeah and it's like the thing is it's noticeable still like i'm gonna say it's not like it's not that it's not noticeable because they were talking oh about, no yeah it's and noticeable. then be the other thing about like the fact there is no substance is that like there are scenes that like are just extended out to like not an absurd degree but like if you feel like if there was more to the movie that like some of these scenes would have been cut like how long it takes in the opening like post first opening First scene post opening where that fissure happens, like how long it takes that fissure to go off. Like, yeah, I mean, there's still things like but, that. But yeah. the, that's the thing. That's the other thing where it's like the three weeks shooting schedule kind of made more sense to me because it did feel a sense like okay, well, we got to fill a movie up. Let's just like film. Let's just film as much as we can, and then we'll just put it in the movie. But I guess for me, like when the monster stuff started to happen at a reasonable part in the movie, like yeah, it, and it wasn't like. Megalon or the monsters would be gone for extended periods of no, time. No, 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 no. Like no, no. they it, would cut back to the monster oh, yeah, stuff. Oh, yeah, that's regularly. what I mean. When it's yeah. like it's just one big extended monster fight. Like they would go back to some of the human drama. Like they put the the Cetopians put the kid and then the friend in the uh, in a containment unit that's going to be dumped into Cetopia. Right. And then like the drivers. Why? Who knows? Well, because like I, who is this I, inventor? I think they established <laughs> that they want like these guys down there, but they don't even take the inventor because you think that they'd want the inventor. No, so they, they do could... take the inventor. The inventor is in the thing. It's the best okay. friend. Oh, is I, I got them. To... I see. I got them mixed up. There's really no <laughs> distinct person. So I'm thinking then they wanted to bring the inventor down so we can like they can take him hostage and invent more stuff right right but like still it's just but it's like again there's no, there's no there is no drama to it because it's just kind of happening then just, the drivers like see megalon and they like escape and the other guy's like no you gotta dump it in the, in the fissure we can't just dump it like in a random dumb right. like dam and they're like they punch the guy out you're right and like and they then like a hero moment but then like a villain moment like right away right because then the best friend like has knocked out the other communications guy that's like controlling Jet Jaguar with the thing. And At then, one point, Megalon slips in the dam and then yeah. gets up as if nothing happened. But then, like, the truck drivers, the, the guy's like, We need to get this, we need to get this down. You're about to dump it, but my friends are in there. And they're like, No, we're going to take your car. And then they punch him too. Right, right. And then, like, so yeah, so Megalon appears at a dam and he's like punching through the dam, right? And he falls through the dam, and like you see him <laughs> slipping and sliding down. Yeah, it's and, a very unflattering. And like, then, <laughs> and then he gets up, and like the best friend like runs away. He's like, okay, well, like I gotta save myself. I can't save my friends. The containment unit holding. Oh the two, yes, this. The containment unit holding the friends like dumps down, 
Megalon like gets up. <laughs> the containment unit hits his like drill he hand. Knocks it out like it's like and, a, like, he, like a ping yeah, pong. Like right when he hits when right when the containment unit hits his drill hand, he like accidentally knocks it up and it flies <laughs> over the mountain. It's one of the most goofy visuals. Right where the friend is running, <laughs> and they survive. And they survive because that. Actually, I think the kid gets knocked out like four times in this movie, <laughs> if I'm thinking correctly, because the first time the burglar, and then like the second time the burglars come, and then during that scene, and I think there's one scene near the end where he's knocked out too. But here's a series of, like I said, like really just weird implications of this world. So Jet Jaguar, as we said, is like this robot that this man created. Why he created this robot, other than he is an inventor, nobody knows. Nobody knows. It has the ability to create like these supersonic waves that can control monsters to a certain degree. He's human-sized until, like at one point in this movie, oh. what happens is they send Jet Jaguar to go get Godzilla. Right. To which Jet Jaguar goes and him and Godzilla have like a really goofy, like, but this is like kind of like the benefit of the movie is like they just straight up go with like these monsters have personalities. They're not just like these beasts where Jet Jaguar is like signing like, hey, come help me fight this monster. And, and Godzilla is like, yeah, let's let's do it. Yeah, All right, like, I'll come like, help you. Yeah. Which I was kind of into. Yeah. Like I was kind of like they just went right into it. So Jet Jaguar comes back and they're like, all right, Jet Jaguar, you did a good job. And then Jet Jaguar then develops a will of his own. Goes into the battlefield and then just makes a pose and grows like he's fucking Ant Man into a giant kaiju right, size like, like, jet like jaguar to, to a similar size as Godzilla to be right. Like he is like human size. Like you see him like at a human size talk, like interacting with his master, with the inventor, and then all of a sudden he's got his will of his own. He has a mind of his own, and he grows the giant size. And to and it's followed by this quote of the man saying, "His determination made him grow." Which is not only a ludicrous comment that has no other explanation, but it also implies that he didn't know that the robot he made was able to do that. <laughs> so it's like, so all sense of science is thrown out the window in this movie. And the last big, big implication of this movie is that at one point, the Cetopians realize that Godzilla and Jet Jaguar are teaming up to fight Megalon. And, and that's where you realize like Megalon's done because they... Basically, they get off of the controls, the Cetopians, to make a phone call, yeah. essentially. And because nobody's at the controls, it cuts to Megalon, who's going apeshit. Like, he's just, like, flailing around. <laughs> like, he's hopping around, like, doesn't know what to do. It's pretty funny. Yeah. But, so anyway, they're like, oh, man, Jet Jaguar and Godzilla are going to team up. Call the uh, aliens from Nebula M and see if we can borrow Gigan. To which I was like, wait a minute. So this underground society knows aliens? Like the implication of this world. And this gets to my biggest point of the movie. This movie felt like a backdoor pilot to another, to a series of like Jet Jaguar yes. cartoons. Well, because even like you could see like. If this was like a first episode of a series, you can see them like establishing all the tropes that you would see in this movie. You can see like every week the Cetopians would be would, like, like, send up a new monster. Yeah, send up a new monster or call our friends from Nebula X or like you can see yeah. that happening. Well, what was funny about that too was like, because they do, because I kind of recognize they do use the same term for the aliens from Gigan. Right, they, right, yeah. Them, and that they, so I like to imagine that the aliens from Gigan get the mess, or the aliens from like Planet M or Nebula M. 
them or whatever. Yeah, the cockroach people. Get the, the, yeah, the cockroach people from the last movie, they get the message. And like initially they're like, oh, I don't know. Cetopia people are always asking for goddamn help. And then they like get the rest of the message. It's like, Godzilla. Godzilla is the one who messed up our plans last time. Mm-hmm. Fuck yeah. that guy. Gigan, get out there. Exactly. I like that idea that like they're just like they send him just to spite Godzilla. I will say, I think you were getting to this point. When all four monsters appear, and that last fight where they have all four monsters, yeah, it's a hell of a fight. Yeah, like it is one of like the like it's been a while since we've seen a fight that entertaining because like you really have like a mix and match. You have like Jet Jaguar versus Gigan, and then you have okay Godzilla versus Megalon, and then the two of them switch off, and then you have like Godzilla versus Megalon, and mm-hmm. it, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and, and, all, and like all this sort of stuff, and they keep mixing up, they keep teaming up, and it's. It's just well put together. There's some really unique stuff in this fight, and it like legitimately is one of the better fights. It's in terms even pro- like sense destroy all monsters, and probably even sense of Bira, To be quite honest, I mean like there, and we rarely or because sometimes it doesn't really call out to me that much. But I, I will talk about it a little bit more. The suit performing in this movie is really good mm-hmm. uh, to the point that like. Again, like I said, they bring personalities to these monsters in a way that you can really follow it without, like, nobody really. And that's the thing. Nobody explains anything in this movie. No, no, no. Like, like you I said, can like, follow. I, the, the thing is, like, nobody explains anything, but you follow the general gist of what's happening. Yeah. And, like, with the monster, like, you. I actually, like, if this started a Jet Jaguar series, like, if I found out about those after doing this movie, I would actually kind of seek them out because. I was actually into I, Jet Jaguar. I like Jet Jaguar quite a bit. I like, will be honest. When, when I they were ganging up on him, which is, again, another thing like the suit performers and how they do the Gigan Megalon dynamic, mm-hmm. which there was a deleted scene in which there was like a full minute of Megalon and Gigan just communicating with each other using like gestures and everything, yeah. which we kind of added our own personal commentary to as we <laughs> did it. Because when they see each other, it's like, Megalon, how's it going, buddy? It's like, Gigan, I haven't seen you in a long time. How's your mother? Like Like, clapping to each other. Yeah, like, and they're doing like, and it's so goofy. Like, it's like when they finally team up, they like cross like their like scissor hands. They're like, yeah, let's do Mm -hmm. this. Like, and that's where it just feels like it's a TV show. But uh, when they're all hanging up on Jet Jaguar, like, I was kind of like, Come on, Jet Jaguar, go! No, I I kind of enjoyed like once Jet Jaguar got his own will. Like there was just the fun again, like just a fun like a hero, like a true hero personality in the sense that like you don't really get with Godzilla. Like you get Godzilla's like at this point like a, a true true blue hero, of, right? Like right. the Japanese people, but you you get that sense of like Godzilla's like it's like a duty, right? Like mm-hmm. it's like he's like a protector. You, you get the sense that over these movies that Godzilla he's like a protector of Earth. He can kind of sense like okay, well this is bad news. For Earth in general, I'm going to go fight. It's my duty, and then I'll go back to the sea. Whereas Jet Jaguar had that kind of, like, human-esque, like, kind of Captain America-esque, like, I am I am going to fight until my he last He can do this breath. all day. Yeah, he can do this all day, exactly. <laughs> so, like, just seeing, like, before Godzilla get there, yeah, like, that double team down, and then, like, even, like, the brutality of just, like... <laughs> Jet Jaguar shows throw some nasty punches. Yeah, some, well... Like, when Megalon's on the ground and Jet Jaguar's just pounding on him. Yeah, yeah. But, but... But yeah. this all culminates in the most... The final epic... Uh, moments. Moments of the fight where they just finally gain the upper hand, Jet Jaguar and Godzilla, in which at one point... Uh, Godzilla... No, it was... <laughs> So what he, first what they do they dispatch 
Geigen in a badass way by Jet Jaguar taking him from the back, <laughs> breaking his arm. Yeah, like legitimately like breaking his arm, like just kind of chopping it down. It's like dislocating the elbow, like essentially. And then he throws him into the air and Godzilla just blasts him out of the air. Mm-hmm. So that's how they get rid of Geigen. Then they go after Megalon. <laughs> yes. In which they get to do the same thing. Jet Jaguar has him like in kind of like an arm lock. Nick, and then what proceeds to happen? So God, As Jet Jaguar is like, come on, Godzilla, let's, you, ra- let's, let's do this. Let's wrap this up, bro. <laughs> what happens? What does Godzilla do? Godzilla kind of slides across on his tail <laughs> and gives uh, Megalon a big old drop kick. Oh, he does and, like a drop kick. And then he does it again, <laughs> and he does it again. And the if, fact that he does it twice mm-hmm. is maybe what makes it even yeah. better. <laughs> and to any fans of older mystery science theater episodes, oh, we're gonna don't mention that we're gonna talk about oh, the yeah. mystery science theater thing. And then so Megalon's defeated. He's called back to his place in Seatopia because if you remembered that the Seatopians fit into the plot, right? Because no, because because like yeah, I mean that's another element of the plot being thin once. Once uh, the humans get control of Jet Jaguar back, the Cetopians basically disappear. And, like, not even, like... The thing is, is, like, they don't even really mention, like, we'll be back or, like... um, Like, they don't have, like... Because that is the thing about the Cetopians in comparison to, like, the other kind of quote-unquote alien races. is because, like, the main Cetopian dude doesn't actually appear on Earth at all. Like, there is a kind of a sense of, like, well, they aren't really defeated. Because, like, yeah, because Megalon just disappears into the ground. Gigan kind of licks his wounds and once again flies back to his Nebula friends, Nebula mm-hmm. M friends, who are finally like, all right, we're just going to get Another thing about a TV show, like, the villains, yeah. they, they get but, away. But that is, like, you're right. It's like, it does feel like a TV show just in the sense of, like, you know, when we had the Planet X aliens, when we had the aliens and destroy all monsters, when we had the cockroach guys last time. They all get defeated. They all get destroyed and, like, melted or, you know, cockroached well, away. And this one, it just felt like it just felt like the Seatopia plotline was just kind of, like, so ancillary. of Like, it was just only a means of bringing Megalon into the fight, and there was, like, nothing more to it. Well, there is, a even- deleted, there is a deleted scene um, uh, with the Seatopians in which the Emperor does at one point lament the hypocrisy of his actions like there is a little bit more story of like are we any better by sending a giant insect monster uh like <laughs> like kind of like that there yeah. is that but that's but again not like, even like that it's like yeah. not it's like never really addressed but it does feel like you like really have we said it does feel like like oh like but the Zetopian guy is going to be back next week to try out a, like another plan right right which i kind of want that <laughs> I kind of want that series. Like you could definitely see yeah, it. You can definitely see it because so then the and because movie, even this movie ends with like Jet Jaguar is like when the battle's over, he goes back to being like a docile robot. Well, but, the other part I was gonna say is that he does like at the end of the battle before Godzilla leaves, like they do Jet, a handshake. Jet Jaguar does have a big of a handshake, which also kind of makes it feel like it is like a major crossover. Like it does feel like all right. Well, Godzilla's guested in this episode, but now it's Jet Jaguar's turn to protect the human people. But yeah, so Jet Jaguar sinks back down. They try talking to him. And then they realize that they have to use the ultrasonic communicator again. And then they're like, well, you know, maybe he's he, he's fulfilled his duty. He does no longer needs like a human will. Let's go home. At which point we get the Jet Jaguar theme song. That's going to be that was the quote of this week. Definitely. Yeah. Jet Jaguar. Jet, Jet Jaguar. Jaguar. <laughs> and Godzilla. 
fight together. It's like that's essentially the song. Because you can Ward. definitely see it. Like it's like until monster strikes, he's just uh, he's just the robot. But when evil strikes, he's Jet Jaguar. Jet Jaguar. Um, Nick, I think talking this movie, I think I like it more. Oh, I, I, <laughs> than I, than again, I initially thought. For what it lacks in plot, it it more than makes up in an entertaining, breezy, fun monster battle. And it's like I'm not gonna put it like up to like some of those plottier like Godzilla films, you know. But well, like, because... but, but but in, in comparison to like the stuff like we've recently watched. Like and even something like Astro Monster, this this really does make its way up there. Well, because remember, like a big thing with like and again, like like we've mentioned a lot of times, it's super thin. But I think like when we've watched Gigan and Hedora, like those there are moments in that mo- in both of those movies where I think both of us were like, all right, let's wrap this up. Yeah. Come on, let's yeah. go. Oh no, and this one was like I, I was never like that. No, in this I one. I could have watched another five minutes of that last fight. Yeah, like, I, I, again, it's it's like. The movies all really work when they do have that entertaining monster action. And, like, the common thread of, like, the movies that I have really disliked is just not great monster action. Uh, yeah, and I, I think, like, the, the, it'll be interesting to see where this ends up on my list, but it definitely gets a favorable reaction yeah. uh, from me. Um, so, just as this movie had an interesting creation, this will be one of our first Godzilla movies in a while that has an interesting post or release mm-hmm. um so uh, shall we get into that uh, before we wrap up yeah let's do it um so nick in order to talk about the reception of this movie i gotta talk a little bit about the release of this movie so this is probably godzilla versus megalon is probably the most accessible godzilla movie at least of the time in the show series um when it came out mm-hmm. um so the film was ju- was distributed I can't speak. The film was distributed uh, in the U.S. by uh, Cinema Shares International Distribution. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was a major, like this company was like a major, like we're going to get this Godzilla movie out there. Okay. So the first benefit of such a big major distribution was uh, there was a huge marketing push in the U.S. for this movie. Um the marketing materials included uh, like lots of posters. One major poster showed Godzilla and Megalon on top of the Twin Towers at the World Trade Center fighting each other, which doesn't happen in this movie. No, no, it does not. <laughs> um, but that was one of them. Um, uh, specialized merchandise, including uh, buttons with the individual monster's head on them, faces on them. Um, a comic book uh, tie-in adaptation of the story. And uh, specialized press kits that included a vote Godzilla for president ad that, if you mailed in, would have uh, rewarded you with a ticket for the movie. Mm. So they were going all, all out. All yeah, out they, were, they were like Godzilla for president, even though he technically can't be president because he is born on foreign soil. <laughs> and he had to be born on American soil to be president. That's why Arnold Schwarzenegger was never president. Yeah. So, But he was the Terminator. Mm, he was. He was the governor <laughs> as well. Um, so Go- Godzilla could have been a governor of California. But can you imagine? <laughs> He's the governor of Florida. It's like I'm sorry, but every time you come to make an address, you just flood our <laughs> flood the state, <laughs> the water, the water displacement. Godzilla, come on! Um, now it should be also noted that much of the marketing still screwed up the translation of the names, including calling Jet Jaguar Robot Man, mm-hmm. which was something that also made its way into the trailers. 
Robot Man and Godzilla um, versus Megalon and the Gigan. Um, after its big big release, there was a cut for TV hour long version of this, which I think actually would probably benefit this movie if a you, little bit, it, yeah, because yeah. you really was just getting right into it and just kind of probably get the highlights. Um, but it was aired um, on TV with an introduction and bumpers by John Belushi wearing a Godzilla suit that was used in SNL. <laughs> I can imagine that either being great or really, really bad. I could that could be going either way. Here's the thing: if it was with John Belushi, I think it would be great. With Jim Belushi, it would be sad. Uh, the U.S. rights for the film during this whole time eventually even fell into public domain in the late '80s, which resulted in companies uh, releasing poorly cropped full-screen VHS remasters of it, and also led to the film being featured in Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yes, and so if uh, if anybody is familiar with those old uh, Mystery Science Theater openings, especially for kind of like the Joel era, um, that shot of Godzilla dragging on its tail is a major part of those openings when they're talking about all the bad movies that they watch. Right, so. right. And and I think, and they did riff this movie. Oh, no, I they believe. did, they yeah. did. But I'm just saying, yeah. like, that's like, it's very recognizable because even if you haven't seen the Godzilla vs. Megalon Mystery Science Theater episode, that shot of Godzilla is, like, present in a lot of the, like, original openings. So the reason I say all of this is because this is very important to the reception of the movie. Mm -hmm. Because because of all this, this movie was the most widely seen Godzilla movie in America. And now because of that and the marketing push with everything... Um, and the excitement that gathered about it, because people knew who Godzilla yeah, was. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he was, again, we talk about, one of the reason we're talking about these franchises is that they do still have a pop culture presence. I mean, right. maybe Bond, Godzilla may have not been big, as big as Bond at this time, but, like, people would know what, like, Godzilla would look like. Yeah, and I mean, so in this, so consider, like, this was something that everybody knew, and now it was, like, a big major release mm-hmm. of a Godzilla movie. Now, when it came out, there was a lot of excitement, and people were like, oh, great, Godzilla, like, this is fun, and everything. The legacy of this movie, not so great. Mm. <laughs> This is by many fans, and mostly fans, but people who kind of like, you know, study all this stuff. This is considered in many ways to be a figurative death nail in the uh, attitude towards Godzilla movies and kaiju movies in a way. Because I think a lot of people, the the general consensus is, while there are some people who are fans of this movie, um, is that it's just cheap very little substance monster action that's you know the production value is questionable at best and then looking into it because it's funny because even the people who said uh oh like this is all this is all great monster action still didn't know about like troubled productions and recycled material because yeah. how would they have known like you know right. those yeah. movies wouldn't be distributed but the reason i think and while this is it's not necessarily considered the worst Godzilla movie, but in a weird way, it's considered that movie that since everybody saw it and it kind of subconsciously 
spread that belief that now everybody sees Godzilla for what it is. Now, whether you believe that or not, but Mm. it's just kind of like now everybody's kind of seen what Godzilla is, and now everybody just thinks like, well, this is it. This is this is nothing. This is this is stupid. Yeah. And uh, whereas you comparison, if you like, you know, especially the original Gojira, but even some of those earlier films, you know, there's a lot more substance to those. And I guess like in comparison, yeah, if this was one everybody saw, and that's the perception is, oh, it's just these big monster fights that go on for. Well, I think regardless of what you actually think about the quality of the movie is i think because so many people saw this movie i think it was just people just got a glimpse at this is what godzilla is now what side of that you fall on mm-hmm. is where you're at but i think going forward godzilla was no more just that little kind of like icon that only like the niche really knew what the movies were like yeah. now everybody and again no matter what side you fall on it knows that it's silly monster action with suits and everything like from here on out people knew not only what Godzilla was like that he's a giant lizard but they knew what a Godzilla movie was does right. that make sense yeah no it makes sense yeah so that that's kind of like what is the most interesting about this movie to me from a reception point of view is that you know there's some uh, the fans who are a little bit like bitter about that and you know there's some of the people who just like you know kind of like brush aside these movies just automatically but it kind of stands as like this more figurative learning like like Godzilla has obviously been in the states before but this in many ways is Godzilla's coming out party yeah. to America and very, I and I just is, find that interesting. That is very interesting cuz mm-hmm. part of this podcast again is talking about like the legacy and the reception of these characters and and like how the changes over time reflect that and it's very interesting especially since we are getting to the end of the show a series you know and like how many films we have just like a, like a couple like it is very interesting that this is the film that kind of brings that out it'll be interesting to see kind of like if that really plays into any of the future films and the reception of those films, especially on American soil. Just some minor notes. Um, Megalon, this will be, I, I think, the first and only time we see him in a movie, so I hope you enjoyed him. That was uh, fine. Yeah, he, he, he's appeared in a lot of Godzilla media, especially video games. Um, and Jet Jaguar um, did not, unfortunately, spawn his mm-hmm. own series. Uh, he would make several appearances, and I was going to talk a little bit about this today, but I, I wanted to kind of focus on this other stuff. But he did kind of come back in Godzilla TV shows, which at some point we will talk about probably towards the end of the Showa era, about like you know some of these side TV projects that the Kaiju movies uh, mm-hmm. um, spawned a little bit. But right. uh, Jet Jaguar would uh, stretch his legs a little bit more um, on uh, the smaller screen. I liked him. Yeah. <laughs> I liked him. I think he had potential. <laughs> he could have been somebody. He could have been a contender. <laughs> and Nick, that is Godzilla versus Megalon, the movie that was not a Godzilla movie that became a Godzilla movie, but was still ultimately possibly a Jet Jaguar movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how in all of this, like, it didn't do Jet Jaguar any favors. <laughs> no. But at the end of the day, you know, he got a chance. I hope that kid was happy. Yeah, isn't it funny that like that kid? This movie was made really because of him. Jet Jaguar got the shift in many the shaft in many ways. Even though he was I, in the context of the movie, in retrospect, he's like he's the star. Yeah, he is the star, and yeah. we came out of it wanting more. We want more Jet Jaguar. And if I remember correctly, there's a Godzilla video game I have. And you, I remember I showed you Jet Jaguar there? Yeah. And I think that was one of the creatures that you were just like, oh man, I can't wait to see that in context. 
effects? Does it make a lot more sense yes. now? I kind of want to go back to that video game now that I've seen a lot of these monsters. It's just like he's so tonally out of context yeah. with like especially in a video game like that because all the other monsters are like big monsters and lumbering and everything and, and, Je- and Jaguar is just like ting 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 like doing hand yeah. motions yeah. and it's so clearly cartoony um but yeah uh that is a positive reception uh from, from us from yeah. from me definitely yeah. um so um yeah where are we where oh so we talked about Harrison Ford yeah, who's Harrison Ford in this movie? Um, There's not a lot of room. I mean, he could have just been the Cetopian Emperor. The Cetopian Emperor is a is an English guy. I don't know yeah. if you know he's an American. It seemed like because again, it was one of those things where I kind of noticed that he was dubbed over where everybody else was speaking. Like yeah, he's uh, he, his name is Robert Dunham. He was an actor who lived in Tokyo, and his other uh, kaiju credits include another movie called Dogura. And uh, actually, the original Mothra and Mothra versus Godzilla in minor roles. Hmm. Um, so. But yeah, who is Harrison Ford? I mean, there's not movie? a lot of room for him. I kind of feel like like he's like the he's like kind of like the high emperor. Like I kind of feel like the dude who like the actual emperor that we see in the movie maybe overstepped his bounds a little bit and there's like a high council that like kind of oversees like <laughs> right, the, right. the relations between the Cetopians and the surface dwellers <laughs> and this emperor like stepped over his bounds. No, no, here here we go. He is the king of the Nebula M aliens. Oh, yeah. And it cuts to him, and he's like, Godzilla's down there. Get them, Gigan. That's Harrison Ford. And really, movie. he's just a giant cockroach. Yeah. <laughs> he's but a, a giant con- cockroach with Harrison Ford's head. Yes. Oh, no. All right, so next time um, on the right, Godzilla so side of th- things. That's it with Megalon. I hope you enjoyed his stay and uh, say so long to Jet Jaguar. But Nick... Um, you don't have to say goodbye to robots because we're Uh-oh. finally getting oh. to what you've been waiting for all of these all of these years. Mechagodzilla. It's Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. Now, to be fair to these people, just to be quick, I mean, we'll talk about it more in that episode. I have not seen a Mechagodzilla movie, but I have a very inherent fascination with Mechagodzilla. So I'm going to be very interested to see like the original context of him. I, in, in many ways, I don't think you will be disappointed, personally, okay. I think. Um, but unfortunately, you're going to have to wait one more movie, because yeah. next time Nick is not a Godzilla movie, it is a James Bond movie. Yes, unfortunately. One I think you are not looking forward to as much, if I remember correctly. Oh, uh, yeah. So as we are approaching the end of the show series, we are also approaching the end of the, the Mora Ro- series. The, the Mora <laughs> series. The Roger Moore era is ending. As much as I just want to skip to Timothy Dalton, we got we to gotta finish up more. We're going to talk about Moore's legacy. We're going to talk about Moore's final performance in A View to a Kill. All right. Well, um... I'm done. We're done. I'm We're good. We're done. We got plugs to do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> plugs to do. Plugs to do. Jet Jaguar and the plugs to do. Go, go ahead. Okay, bonzillapod at gmail.com. That's an email address that we have. We also have Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash bonzilla007, facebook.com slash bonzilla007, soundcloud.com slash bonzilla007. Please like, please subscribe. All right, and and that's it for me. Um, so I'm Will. I'm Nick. Will, Will, do you think we could make a movie in three weeks? Uh, With yeah. six months of planning. Yeah, and and just and you know what? To be honest, the best review I can give this is like I don't think this movie. I don't think our movie would be as good as this one. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see you next time.